Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to invite you to read out loud with me verses 19 through 24. A little bit easier tonight with a smaller group maybe to try to read out loud together. This might be a little bit harder on Sunday morning, but I really enjoy reading the Scripture out loud together. Not just because it's a beautiful sound to hear people speaking together, but it's wonderful to think that we can all repeat the same truth. And it's not, well, this is my truth and your truth. No, this is God's truth that He speaks for all of us. So let's read it together, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Lord, as we look at your word together tonight, as we just sang to you, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us with this truth. Once again, we thank you for your word and how Christ so clearly spelled out for us how we ought to have the right perspective when it comes to the possessions that you've blessed us with. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we look at this tonight, I want us to see that really we have three different perspectives that God gives us about our material possessions. And He gives us the perspective as He talks about it as treasure. He gives us the perspective of vision or having an eye that's single. And then He gives us the perspective based on our master or who is in charge of our life and our choices. The reality is that in Christ's day, the same as in the day that we live here and now, people are very concerned about their material possessions. In fact, in our day, as in really probably any day, many people are identified by their material possessions. It's easy to be identified or to identify others based on the brand name of clothing that they wear, right? And you kind of think, if I have a certain amount of money, I want to wear a certain kind of clothing. It's easy to be identified by the little badge or the type of car that you drive. Well, this is the vehicle that these people, this is a luxury car, or this is a middle-class car, this is just a hunk of junk that's trying to get down the road. We are often identified by our material possessions. Same thing could be said of your house. Same thing could be said of just about anything that you own. And often life is spent in the pursuit 
of more possessions so that we can hopefully enjoy those possessions that we have. Now tonight as we look at this very important scripture on the possessions, on Christ's perspective on our possessions, I think it's very important to note that Christ nowhere says that it is wrong to have possessions. There have been some throughout the years and even to this day that want to take sort of a, uh, an ascetic view or, or a monastic view towards possessions, that you ought to just get rid of everything that you have because if you own things, that is not spiritual. And in fact, it is a more spiritual person who does without things. Now, it's fine if you want to get rid of things that are keeping you from following God, but in and of themselves, possessions are not necessarily sinful, and we'll see that tonight. On the flip side, it's also easy to think that someone has, who has a lot of possessions has somehow been um, blessed by God more than somebody else. Therefore, you might say, well, someone who has more possessions clearly has a closer relationship with God than I do because I'm asking God to take care of me and to bless me, but He's clearly blessed them more than somebody else. And that type of teaching is often taught in, in an environment where people say, well, if you just believe it, if you claim it to be true for your life, God will bless you with it. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have everything. So therefore, if you just have enough faith, you will have more possessions. Isn't it interesting how in that way of thinking, sometimes possessions are equated with a lack of spirituality, and yet other people will try to twist it to mean uh, an abundance of, of, of possessions somehow says this person clearly has a high level of spirituality, and neither of those things are true, right? You can be a very unspiritual person and have lots of possessions. At the same time, you can be a very spiritual person and have lots of possessions. The flip side is also true. You can be a very poor person and be a very spiritual person. You can also be a very poor person and be a very unspiritual person. So the amount of possessions that one owes in no way speaks to their relationship with God. However, because we identify so closely with the possessions that we own, possessions do play into our relationship with God. And our perspective or the way we view those, those possessions or how we pursue after those possessions, that definitely relates to our relationship with God. So I'm not here tonight to tell you that if you're poor, that God hasn't blessed you. Or that if you're rich, that you're spiritual. Or that if you're poor, you're clearly more spiritual than the rest of us. None of that is necessarily true. But we do need to have the right biblical perspective on our possessions if we are going to honor God with what He has given us and honor Him in our choices and our priorities and honor Him as stewards, as managers of those possessions, using them in a way that glorifies God. And Christ, here in this passage, He breaks it down for us in three simple ways. The first is given to us in verses 19 through 21. And here we have a choice of treasure, a choice of treasure. I want to read these verses for you again. He says, "...lay not up for yourselves treasures 
upon earth. Now the verb here, lay not or lay up or lay not up, is the verb form of the noun that's, that's translated treasures just a few words later. So another way of thinking of this might be to say, don't lay up or don't stack up treasures upon treasures. Don't treasure treasures is what he's saying here, right? So don't treasure treasure or lay not up for yourself treasure upon earth. And he tells us why. He says, because on earth moth and rust doth corrupt. To corrupt is the idea of to eat or to take away from. So if you are busy stacking up treasures upon treasures here on this earth, you have the problem of moth and rust. And those are things that are outside of your control. In Christ's day, wealthy people would sometime, sometimes take their gold and have it uh, woven into their garments as golden thread. They would take it and they would, you can take gold and you can break it down really fine and they would turn it into golden thread, have it woven into their garments as a way to signify their wealth, kind of like you might wear a fancy brand name today, and as a way to help preserve their wealth. You were wearing it literally on your back as you walked around. But something they couldn't control was what the rest of the garment was made out of, which would often be wool or some other type of material. The moths wouldn't bother the gold, but they could sure eat up the rest of the clothing. And uh, a clothing with a little bit of gold thread running through it that a moth is, has gone to town on isn't worth near as much anymore, right? Because the gold is just falling off of you and you have no more clothing to wear. Or the idea of rust. You can put something in a storage place, but eventually the elements have their way with it. You have the problem of moth and rust, but he also says you have a problem of thieves. Thieves break through and steal. The idea here is this. You can lock up your treasure, right? If you're storing it stacked treasure upon treasure, it's like a picture of somebody with a big vault or a storage area, and they're just piling in the treasure, lay upon, or layer upon layer. They're laying up treasures. Well, that's all fine and good until the thief breaks in and he steals everything that you've laid up. What Christ is pointing out here is that if you are looking at your possessions as something that will bring you eternal happiness or something you can always count on them being there, not just happiness, but can bring you consistency, can bring you confidence, can bring you security. He said you have some real problems to deal with. Those problems are moth, rust, and thieves. So no matter how much you try to hold on to these things, you have the potential of losing them. So he gives us the other perspective here. First, we have the, in our choice of treasure, we have treasure on earth. The second is the choice of treasure in heaven, treasure in heaven. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So you ought to be stacking up treasure somewhere, just not here on the earth. You ought to be stacking it up in heaven. 
If we could go to heaven today and look at the place marked, you know, the treasure for the members of Arise Baptist Church or the treasure that belongs to you fill in your name or your family's last name, there ought to be a place where there's a few layers of treasure being stacked up one on top of the other. Why? Because treasure in heaven doesn't have the same problem that treasure on earth has. Treasure on, in heaven doesn't have to worry about moth, doesn't have to worry about rust, and definitely doesn't have to worry about thieves because it's in a safe place. And then he gives us this little verse, verse 21, that really is so foundational to our understanding of this whole point. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think it's important to point out that he's not saying this, that if you start putting your treasure in one place, then that's where your heart will go. What he's saying is where you put your treasure is where your heart already is. There will your heart be also. You could say it this way. You can tell where somebody's heart is by where they put their treasure. Where do you put the things that you value? Well, wherever your heart is, wherever your desires are, whatever you're passionate about is what you will lay up treasure with. Makes sense, right? I mean, it's pretty easy to tell a parent that cares a lot about their children because they're over here investing in their children. You don't have to be a rich parent to invest in your child, like financially rich. It shows by how you spend your time. It shows by where you put your energy, what your priorities are. In a very foundation, funda foundational, fundamental sense, you could take your own budget or your credit card bill from last month or your bank account and your check register and you could very quickly tell what's important to you, where your heart is. As we understand when it comes to spiritual things, every spiritual problem ultimately is a heart problem. It's a heart issue. So what Christ is teaching here is not spending your way into having the right heart, right? Like, well, if you just start putting more treasure over there, then your heart will change. It's not a fake it till you make it spiritual walk with God. Rather, he's saying, take a look at where your treasure is, where you're laying it up, and you'll have a very clear indication of where your heart already was all along. And if where your treasure is, is in a place that is vulnerable to moth, rust, and thieves, then the reality is your heart is in the wrong place, and it's been there all along. That's a very strong challenge for us, isn't it, to where we live? Because it's easy to say one thing with our mouth. We're all good at it. <laughs> Me too. To say this is what's important to me, but then in reality, the way I live, it's often demonstrated through the heart, through the heart. A choice of treasure. Is it going to be treasure on earth or is it going to be treasure in heaven? Now, we've seen this even in other passages in the New Testament where Christians have used the financial blessings, the physical blessings, the possessions that God gives them to be able to lay up treasure in heaven. So again, it's not wrong to have physical or financial possessions. 
They're often used to be a blessing to somebody else, to encourage somebody, to give to the Lord's work, to serve others, to take care of your family, all of these things. So Jesus is not saying here, quit your jobs tomorrow and stop earning money because money is sinful and possessions are bad. No, he's saying, take the things that God has given you and make sure you're laying up treasure in heaven. Where's your heart? What are you using it for? So we have three perspectives here. The first is a choice when it comes to our treasure. The second choice is a choice of vision. And he's really talking about the same thing here. He's just, it's almost like he's just spinning it around so that we can see it from a different perspective. I remember in the middle of our table growing up, we had a lazy Susan. And some of you know what that is, that thing that you'd put in the middle of the table and you'd have the salt and pepper shakers on it or the napkins or other things there. And if you needed something, you could just turn it and it would bring whatever item you needed closer to you so you could get it. And in a sense, this is what Christ is doing with this issue of material possessions. He's putting it all out there for us to see. And the first perspective we can look at is a choice of treasure. Is it in heaven or is it on earth? That's where our heart is. Now he's, he spins it around for us a little bit more and says, let's look at this from a different perspective. The perspective of your vision. We understand treasure. That kind of goes in your wallet, right? Or in your bank account. But now he, he changes the illustration and he uses vision or your eyesight. And he says in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. We have a choice, a vision. On one side, he talks about this single eye. Well, I wrote it in my notes here, a clear eye. And the reason I use the word clear is when you read the word single, you might think, is this guy only have one eye? Like, what happened to his other eye? Did it get <laughs> knocked out or poked out? No, it's just talking about having clarity of focus and vision. He has a singleness of vision or a clarity of vision. And what kind of clarity does he need? Well... As we follow along with the previous example of choice on heaven or on earth, he calls it a clear eye or a single eye versus an evil eye. One brings light, the other brings darkness. Think of it this way. If you are looking towards Jesus, He is the light of the world, then what comes in through your eye? The light. If you look towards the things of this earth, the things of darkness, then what comes in, in through your eye, into your body? Darkness. And it's really a question of perspective here, right? Where is your eye? What are you looking at? It's pretty simple. All right, if we were to quick take a quiz around the room, maybe you've done these kind of things where you had to look at a photo and it was two photos side by side and you had to quickly identify what were the differences between the two pictures. Anybody ever done that in a newspaper, a puzzle book, or something like that? You know, well, this one, they, 
you know, he has three hairs on his head, and that one they only have two hairs on their head, or whatever. And you're trying to trying to identify the differences. Well, it's, if we did a quiz like that, it would be very easy to tell who was looking at what. Some of you would notice some things before others. My wife and I laugh about this, about different things that we notice. Like she might notice one thing about somebody, and I notice something very different. I'll give you an example. I, I can usually tell who's here at church on Sunday just by looking in the parking lot because I, I pay attention to what cars people drive, not because I really care if you drive a Honda or if you drive a Ford or if you drive a Toyota or a Chevy or a Dodge or anything else, just because it's a way for me to like look in the park. Oh, there's, there's the Browns pulling in. Oh, there's the Pete pulling in. There's the Plaza. You know, I just know based on the vehicles. My wife, on the other hand, she would have no clues here by looking at the parking lot. She probably wouldn't even know if you drove a red car, a blue car, a silver car, anything else. Why? Because that's not something that she's focused upon. She doesn't pay attention to those things. Take this in the spiritual realm. If we are focused on the Lord when it comes to our possessions, if we're focused on what He wants for our life, then we have light. We have direction. We are looking to the light of Jesus Christ. If instead our eyes are focused upon this world, what does He say we're full of? We're full of darkness. These are not complicated illustrations. I think they're really simple, but they're very clear that help to give us a perspective. As you're walking around and you think about, well, where am I going to put this treasure? Well, do I put it here on this earth where it can get lost or broken or stolen? Or do I put it in heaven where it can be safe and secure? Where am I focused with my eyes? Am I looking at the light of Jesus Christ to guide and direct me through what His Word tells me to do? Or am I looking at what everybody else is doing in this world and instead filled with darkness and have no clue about where to go. And then he gives us a third perspective here, or a third choice. He says in verse 24, No man can serve two masters. This is a choice of master. I want to point out before I read the rest of these verses, he's not talking about how we in the United States, or I, I guess you could, I'm sure you could do this in another country as well, how we might work more than one job at a time. Like, you might have two part-time jobs. And you go and work over here at this job for a while, and then you go and work at that job for a while. He's not, when he uses master here, he's not using in the sense that we might think of a boss at work. He's using this in the sense of a true master, like a slave owner. If you were owned by one person and you were their slave, you could not then go and be another person's slave at the same time. It was a literal, full-time commitment. In fact, it might even be against your will. We understand that. So Christ here is not commenting on the ills of slavery. Rather, He's using something that was very common in His day around Him. Many of the people He spoke to were probably slaves themselves. So they would have understood this very well. He said, you can't be a slave and be owned by two different masters. What does he say? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So we have a choice of master. You can either serve God or you can serve material things. His point is this. You can't have two masters. You can't have two masters any more than you can 
look at light and darkness at the same time. You're either focused on the light or you're looking away from the light. Any more than you can lay up treasure in heaven if your heart is there and at the same time lay up treasure on earth. It's one or the other. And I think too many times in our lives, it's easy as Christians to try to ride the spiritual fence on these issues. Well, I'm going to take some of what I have and make sure I use it for God, but then I'm going to take some of it and enjoy it for myself. Did you understand this? And we'll get into this a little bit further, probably next week, Lord willing, in this set series. When you put God first in your priority with everything, God does give you lots of enjoyment with the whole thing. In other words, it's not a choice of, well, either make God happy or make myself happy. No, it's a question of priority. God, I give you everything. All my treasures being laid up in heaven. My heart's with you. I want to serve you. My eyes are focused upon you 100%. And yes, you are my master, not the things of this world. But in putting it all with God, God takes care of us. God blesses us. He gives us enjoyment. He gives us fulfillment. He takes care of our needs. So you don't have to sit in the position of trying to decide, well, which of this belongs to God and which of this belongs to me. Rather, we ought to live with the perspective of, no, God, I want it all to go back to you because you gave it all to me in the first place. And God, in His gracious kindness and His love towards us, He blesses us. He takes care of us. He provides for our needs. Will He give you lots of possessions? Maybe. Will He just give you a few possessions? Maybe. Remember the parable of the talents? He gave one, one, and one five and one or, or one two and one five he gave different amounts based on their abilities and what they would do with it that's all up to god but we have a choice we have a choice of where we're going to put our treasure we have a choice of where we're going to focus our eye and we have a choice of who we're going to serve as our master to me, it says a lot about the loving Heavenly Father that we have that He would even give us a choice at all. Like He doesn't have to do that. And I get it. Sometimes we do face consequences from the Lord for choosing to go our own way. We absolutely do. But God even lets people that don't love God Enjoy His blessings. Isn't that amazing? God even lets us, who say as believers we do love God, enjoy His blessings even when sometimes we're not as faithful with them as we should be. But I think God wants us all to be challenged with this perspective. I've given you these possessions. Yes, I've even given you the ability to work to obtain more possessions. But what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with them? Some have tried to take spiritual truth and twist it for their own advantage. And you see this. This was happening in Christ's day. Remember when Christ had to go in the temple and clean it out with His whip because they had turned it into a place of, of merchandising. They were just buying and selling right there in the temple. There's a whole... I, I could go on. I've studied that out. There's a whole bunch of interesting things in that 
instance that were really sad how they were taking something that was meant for the glory of God and they were using it for personal profit. How they were taking the place that many scholars believe was the area where the Gentiles were able to come into the outer courts and they had really pushed them out altogether and just put it as a place where they were buying and selling animals. In a sense, saying to the Gentiles, we don't want you in here at all. There's not a place for you because we need a place to make money. The men who were the high priests during those years, they enriched themselves greatly through this system and Christ was very harsh against that. But in understanding that, it doesn't mean that Christ is, is negative on having possessions. Rather, what he's teaching against, what he's challenging them about, is that we take what God has given us, we take what we're able to earn with the strength that God has given us, and we use it for God's glory. That we use it to lay up treasure in heaven, that we keep our focus on Him in everything we do, and that we serve Him faithfully. Because you can't serve two masters. Your heart can't be in two places at the same time. You can't focus on two things at once. It's just not possible to do. He gives us three very clear illustrations to give us a biblical perspective on possessions. We're done a couple minutes early, and I'm going to close in a word of prayer, but I want to just do something a little bit different, and if nobody has one, it's okay, but I want to give an opportunity, maybe, for, maybe you have a question or a comment on tonight. It's a Bible study. It'd be okay to, to solicit those if anybody has one. So I'm going to pray, and then maybe as we've been talking tonight, maybe the Lord's brought a thought to your mind or a question, or, you know, that's an interesting perspective. What about this verse? I just would like to at least open up the floor to that. So let me pray, and then we'll do that. Lord. Help us tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what I believe is very clear teaching for us. And I pray that you'd make it very clear to all of us tonight that we would honor you with what you've blessed us with. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.